Now we're going to read from God's Word, and we are in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said, then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight we're going to look at making a name for yourself, building your brand, establishing reputation and establishing respect. This is something that's just that's always been going on for human beings. In many ways, humanity is always trying to make a name for itself in politics and in government, the political party or, or the nation, the country, tries to establish itself above others. And, and if you're talking about business, a, co- a company, a corporation attempts to, to control public perception and, and to build their brand, but not just in these big ways, at a personal level. At the personal level, people craft their image. People craft every social media post. They consider, how am I going to dress today in order to create the image and to create the name that you want communicated? Our text covers the final chapter of what can be called primeval human history, the the, the earliest period of human history, primeval human history. Last week, we looked at the source of, of all the nation's in the world, these three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they and their descendants, they become the nations of the whole world. Now this week, we're going to look at the cause, not so much for all the nations, but for all of the languages, all the languages of the world, the, the, the pivotal events that caused and produced the languages, as well as the nations of the whole world. And today, we live with the reality of about 7,000 spoken languages, and about 300 written systems. How did it all begin? Why didn't we all just stay with one language? Well, what we're going to see is how there is this deep desire, 
people had this deep desire to make a name, and that caused the creation of all the languages and all the nations of the world. And so tonight we're going to look at three things. First of all, we'll look at where we seek security, where we seek security. And then secondly, how God sees and sifts us, how God sees and sifts us. And then thirdly, where you get a name that will last. So where we seek security, how God sees and sifts us, and where you can get a name that will last. Let's start with where we seek security. Verses one through four. The peoples of the earth, they are seeking security. And it's somewhat understandable. They live, they live in, the, in the shadow of the aftermath of a worldwide cataclysm. After the, the flood, now humanity is beginning again. But they know, they know what they've just come out of. And, and so the sons of, of Noah, they multiply, and, and they're all living together. Humanity's growing, and they start to migrate they migrate towards Shinar. That land, as best we can tell, it's somewhere in the middle of modern-day Iraq. So somewhere the, the, in the plains of central Iraq, humanity is starting to grow and to, to, to establish itself. And they seem to be doing well. Verse 1, the people are united. They're united in language. It says the whole earth had one language. And, and not only one language, humanity lives together. All the peoples living together. Verse 2, it says they dwelt there. And so sharing a common language, living in community, sharing their resources, what you, you find is that people start to collaborate. And, and as they collaborate, they make advances. Human civilization steps forward. And civilization steps forward. Technology also advances. Verse 3, they say, let us make bricks and, and bake them thoroughly. So what if you're going to build... What are you going to use for building materials? Well, if, if there are stones nearby, you quarry stones. But, uh, and, and you can use those stones for walls and for building. But in this area, where they are, you've got clay, not stones. And so you could just do this long-haul transport of stones from far, far away. But they realize, hey, we can build using materials from here. They, they start to develop building material technology. They learn to use kilns. They learn to use furnaces and to bake hardened bricks. So not just sun-dried bricks, but they learn how to use fire to make hardened bricks. And so not only is this an advance in materials technology, there's also an advance in construction methods, and there's advance in urban planning. These are all advances in human civilization. Verse 4, it says, they begin to build a city and a very tall tower. If it, if it was like a ziggurat, you know, those, those square pyramid-like things where it's just this big spiraling staircase that goes up higher and higher. If it was like a ziggurat, and there are ziggurats in that region from ancient times, we've now found the remains of ziggurats that were, the, the square base was 90 meters by 90 meters in both directions. So maybe they were building something like a gigantic ziggurat. But look at the motivation. Look at the thinking behind this city that they're building. Look at the motivation, the reason for why they're building this high tower. Verse 4, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And what are they saying? 
They're saying, let's build something big. Let's, let's build a skyscraper. Let's build a tower so tall that it pokes into the clouds, so tall that it touches heaven. Now, why? They say why. So that we can make a name for ourselves. So that this city and tower, so that everyone will see it. And so that we will be known. So that we won't be scattered. So that we won't be spread and lost to one another and unknown as we, as we just disintegrate over the face of the earth. So what are they saying? You see what they're saying? They're saying, we want a name. We want an identity. They're, they're feeling insecure. There's some anxiety here. They feel insecure and they feel afraid. They want to be known and they're afraid of being forgotten. They want to be remembered and they're going to do that. They're going to make sure they're remembered by building something. And they're going to do it by building it as a community. They're going to do it by innovating And they're going to build something big, so big that it reaches heaven. So big that the whole earth sees it. So big that if you climb on top of it, you will look down and see the whole earth. Now, in some ways, nothing has changed. This is where we still are as humanity today. We are looking for identity. We feel insecure. And we're afraid and we're anxious. We're wondering, is my life Memorable is my is my life. That, that question means: Is my life worth remembering? Is my life worth anything? Do the things that I'm building in my life are they defining me? And, and will I be remembered for what I did? And will I be remembered well? And and will the record of what I did be admired? And so the question for us today is: Are you are you building? Are you trying to build a name? for yourself? Well, here's some questions that you could ask yourself. Four questions. First question, are you trying to build your brand? Are you trying to build your brand? People, when they post photos of themselves on social media, people, when they post comments for the public to read on social media, what's going on before you, you push post? You're asking yourself a question. The implicit question that you may not say it out loud, the implicit question you're asking is, what will people think about me? Will this increase admiration? Will this increase respect? Will this cause people to want to spread my name? Will this push me up into more recognition and and buzz? Are you trying to build your brand? We do it in a million ways. Maybe, Maybe for you... You build a brand by not building a brand. My brand is above being a needy person and trying to manage impressions. I want people to be impressed with how I don't care about my brand. That's my brand. So are you trying to build your brand? Then secondly, you could ask yourself this. Are you content with living in the shadow of someone else? Are you content with living in the shadow of someone else? Her name, not your name, her name is high and bright. Your name comes in second, maybe third, maybe fourth. Are you content with ranking lower? Why does it matter so much if you get fewer likes? Are you content living in the shadow of someone else? Thirdly, when people misinterpret you, are you wrecked? Are you wrecked when people misinterpret you? When, when your kids, when your spouse, when they don't give you the, the respect or the recognition that you expect? Are you wrecked when people misinterpret you? And fourthly, are you building a tower, some kind of tower 
for your name. Now, there are all kinds of ways that we build towers. Your ministry, your ministry could be a tower for your name. Or it could be your grades. Or it could be your, your business status. All of that could be a tower for your name. Even your family could become some kind of tower that you're building for your name. Does, does your marriage or do your kids, the number of them or how they turn out or what they're doing or, or how they present, are they a tower for your name? Do they, does your family represent your identity, your worth? When we try to build a name for ourselves, we end up feeling insecure. There's something that's always threatening our security, our name. And so it's very easy for us to slip into from the glow of success, something that's recognized and praised, and, and shift from that to becoming fearful, being anxious. Verse 4, they built a city and a tower so that they wouldn't be scattered, so they wouldn't be small, so they wouldn't be diffused in their influence and their power, so they wouldn't become unknown and unrecognized. And for some people, the worst thing of all is to be unnoticed. They crave to be seen. Now, there's this curious aspect to their tower. Verse 4, they wanted to build, it says, a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now, some people wonder if, if just by that little phrase, what's being referenced there is, this is like Adam and Eve all over again. Adam and Eve in the garden, reaching for something that wasn't theirs to, to, to have. They were reaching for forbidden fruit, wanting to make themselves like God. Not to bring God down, but to raise themselves up to be like God. And they want, people wonder, is, is that some of that what was going on with this tower reaching up into the heavens? There is something in the heart of fallen men and fallen women that wants promotion, this elevation. I, I will be as God. I will have praise and influence. I must have admiration. And I'm going to push for it. I'm going to work to be recognized. I'm going to promote myself. I'm going to promote my brand so that you look up towards me. Now, we want to, we want to um, recognize that there's something good, there's something normal and healthy in and of itself to desire love. That's not bad, to desire to be loved. There, there is something that is messed up if you desire to be shamed. There's something that's just not right. If you desire to be hated, we were made to be loved. The Bible tells us that God is love. Love always has an object. The very existence of God. God is love. And and we're told in the word that God loves the world. God loves people. And something in you, something in you knows that you were made to be loved. And if you will seek him, he will love you. And you won't need to find love from achievements or the opinions of people. The Lord says, if you have his love, Jeremiah 31, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. But if you're looking for love somewhere else, if if your innate desire to be loved loved by people, when it becomes not a desire but a demand to be loved, then something in you gets warped. Something in us goes wrong. And, and you'll, you'll despair when people misinterpret you or you'll become demanding when, when people just won't get you right. 
They don't, don't get you right. And so at some level, your, your demand for love, it becomes some kind of expression of pride. It's saying, look at me. Assure me. Affirm me. Give my fragile self security. And so you've got an example of this. King Saul, the very first king of Israel, he was the father-in-law of David. In many ways, he was this picture of a man who was trying to make a name for himself, but he was terribly insecure. The, the more he tried to establish his name, the more it started to unravel, and the more he became needy and grasping. Saul was at the top of his country, but he was looking for security in his name. He looked for security in love and affirmation so much that he began to suffocate everyone around him with his demands. His demands on his son, Jonathan, his demands on his son-in-law, David. His demand for love and, and for a name that people would recognize, it became paranoid. It became swallowed up in self-pity. Like you've got this, 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 this little tirade that he goes on that, that illustrates this. And here in 2 Samuel 22.8, here's Saul. He's, he's, just, he's breaking out against his staff. He's having this outburst, melting down in front of all his people. This is what he says to them. All of you have conspired against me. And there's no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there's not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Saul is just completely folded in on himself. He's demanding from these people absolute blind loyalty. And if if anyone has a different point of view, he's frustrated and, and he can't, handle any blame, any responsibility. He's, he's blame-shifting. When, you when you're on this track of building a name for yourself, you can't be wrong. You can never be wrong. You can't admit that you're wrong because that would erode your name. And that's all you've got that you're building on. And so we try to make a name for ourselves. We're looking for security. We're looking for love. Now let's look at how, how God sees all this, how God sees and how he sifts it. Verse 5 is the pivot in this passage. Verse 5, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, you've got this picture here. In this picture, humanity has has pooled all of their resources, their best minds, and they've produced this this sky-high tower. It's a great human achievement. It goes down in history. But the, there's this, this well-known Jewish commentator, Kasuto, who says about this tower, no matter how high they towered, the Lord still had to descend to see it. It says he came down to see their, their, little, their great tower. It, to him, when he saw it, it, it just looked like a little speed bump to him. And so this, this tells us two things. First of all, it tells us about the greatness of God. No matter how high we climb, Mortal men, mortal women, all of us fall short of the glory of God. The majesty of God, it extends to the heavens. The glory of God, it spreads from horizon to horizon. The the blazing sun in our sky, compared to God, it's just a birthday candle compared to his glory. And the mind of God, the wisdom of God, and all of his ways, It's far beyond the entire corpus of human knowledge. His ways are beyond us. 
And so you do well to just fall on your face before God in godly fear, in awe and wonder, in recognition of of his dazzling deeds and, and of his judgments. God is real. God is great. God is good. He's our hero who's never been defeated. He's our champion who will always step up for us. And he's faithful and he has never betrayed his friends. And so we see the greatness of God. He's tops. No one comes close. So we see the greatness of God. Secondly, we see the sifting of God. God sees and God sifts through all of our hearts. God saw this big tower that they were building and he saw more than just structure. God saw their intentions and, and he saw their desire to find security in making a name for themselves. Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now what does that mean? It means God sees us. It means God sees into us. He sees our desires. He sees the reasons for the little deceptions, the little ways that we, we, we shade the truth or the motive for when we flatter people. He, he knows why we have an inability in some areas, an inability to face the truth about our situation, about ourselves. And he looks in us and he sees our foolishness. Psalm 69.5, O oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. So it's not just that God sees when we sin, when we do wrong. He also just, he sees our foolishness, the folly that I get myself into, the dumb, dumb words that I speak, the dumb, dumb deeds that I do. He sees them and, and he sifts us. He sorts through all the tangled motives and desires that, that move us to do and to say what we do. He sees, he sifts, and that means he will also step in. He, he comes to us like he came to Adam and Eve in the garden. He, he comes and he, it's like he asks, what is so important to you? What's so important to you that you're willing to overload your schedule? What's so important to you that you're willing to become angry and to break out in anger? What's so important to you that you're, you're filled with fear and anxiety? What's so important? He steps in. And in verses 6 through 9, God steps in and he stops the building. And this is a judgment from God. It's a curse of God, but it's a, it's a very, um, it's very indirect. It's very much a light touch. He doesn't topple the tower the way he could, and he does at other times. He just stops the building. They just leave off building. Now, why? He says why in verse 6. The Lord says, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. This ties to what we read earlier in Genesis 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw, what did he see? Saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
Now, if you're visiting with us and you're someone who's assessing Christianity, exploring Christianity, we welcome you. We're, we're very glad that you're here. And here we, we try to always put our cards out on the table. One of our core beliefs is that humanity is bad. In the heart of all people, you will find bad. Humanity started good. That was, that was at our core. But in the fall of humanity, through one man, Adam, all of humanity is infected with evil, with sin. Now the infection, it could have been deeper. The evil could be worse. But everyone is infected with it. All have sin. All have sinned. And I would claim that you don't even have to be a Christian to know that this is true. You know people. And if you've lived long enough, you know that people disappoint you. You know that people have their secrets and that people wound you and that people wrong you. And you also know that given enough time, you wrong people also. And so God looks down on humanity and he sees their, their collectivism. He sees their combined efforts to advance technology, to build a tower, to make a name for themselves. And he also sees their hearts. And God knows that this, this fallen collectivism, it's just going to lead to compounded evil. It won't turn out well. He looks at humanity's efforts and he knows that this is not going to end well. It, it would be like, if I were to just let it go, it would be like having this daycare and you've got a room full of toddlers and they've all got loaded firearms. That's too dangerous. They cannot handle that kind of power well. So humanity in this tower, they wanted security. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be admired. They wanted to be remembered. Humanity, suffering, anxiety about becoming separate, becoming disconnected, becoming fractured from one another. Humanity thought our city that we are building and our combined power will save us. They thought that they had security in size. They thought that they had security in uniformity. But the Lord here is saying, bigger isn't better. Bigger isn't better. Bigger for them, for fallen humanity, bigger will lead to self-destruction. And so God breaks them down. God, God makes them smaller. God spreads them out. He, he's not, he doesn't strike anyone down. He just confuses the language and spreads them out. They go from having one shared language to just this world of languages. And so because of the different languages, people can't understand each other. And, and this will limit collaboration. This will prevent the world from uniting in evil. It's actually something of a warning against having universal, a, a one universal spoken language, written language, and universal communication in which to traffic this language. If we had that, we would rapidly do ourselves in. And so what he steps in here and shows us is that diversity will limit sin. And God is going to stop our self-destruction by bringing in diversity. Diversity will limit sin. The disruption of human communication and and this multiplication of of the languages, that's the grace of God. And and don't we know that this is true? That, That humanity, we have the capacity to destroy ourselves in a hundred ways. It doesn't matter where you you land 
on the, on the political spectrum. On one side, progressives say that it's going to be through ecological disaster or, or through social intolerance that we are going to self-destruct. But on the other side, conservatives say it's going to be through this, this group having too much military power or it's going to be through this kind of concentration of economic power or through socialism or through the Leviathan state that we will self-destruct, that we will kill ourselves. We disagree on the particulars, but on this, all of us agree. We have the capacity to do ourselves in, and God agrees with that assessment as well. And so now we live with this broken communication between humanity. We've got broken diplomacy between the nations. We've got broken negotiations between political parties. And at the individual level, we've got broken communication between two people who once were friends. Even within the same language, we can't agree. We can't agree on, on what did you mean when you sent that email and you, you said this one fatal line that, that shattered our relationship. We can't even agree. It's the same language. We can't even agree on what did you mean when you said that. And, and maybe a love between two people that lasted 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, it collapses. And even a mediator can't pull the two back onto the same page. It even happens in the church. Philippians 4, 2. Paul writes to the church about two women whose friendship and whose faith is divided. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Two gospel workers, two women who are, who are advancing the gospel, they can't get on the same page. They're not of the same mind. They are in disagreement. And Paul's saying, would, you, would the rest of you come and help them? Come and, and be of the same mind. Do you have these impossible conversations, these conversations where, you're, you're having conversation, but you realize there's no communication happening. Conversations without communication. You, you maybe you're going through these hours of, of writing, hours of speaking back and forth, but you're not heard. You're, you're being misunderstood. Where you can't even establish what was said. And it's just so hard to establish what was said. Even if you're all in the same language, all of us are living under the curse of Babel. This is part of what happened with Babel. And much of it's rooted in someone's desire to make a name for themselves. Maybe it's in me. Maybe it's in you. To protect ourselves or to promote ourselves. And so when we're just we're stuck in this because someone, maybe both of us, maybe one of us, is trying to make a name for themselves, we withhold words. We, we omit truth. Or we overstate in our words and we exaggerate the truth and, and we bite and we tear and we devour one another just to guard our own name. But what if you didn't have to make a name for yourself? What if you could have a name that lasts? Wouldn't that free you? Wouldn't that free you and enable you to, to persevere through one of these endless 
email exchanges or endless hours of difficult human communication, if you had a name, wouldn't that free you to persevere? And you could just keep going without getting, without getting triggered too soon, without having to tap out too quickly. And so with this, we close. Where do you get a name that lasts? Well, here at the, at the Tower of Babel, they attempted to build a tower from earth all the way up to heaven. They wanted to make a great name by building it. In the gospel, we have not a brick tower, but we have a wooden cross. It's a cross that's raised up between earth and heaven. And Jesus Christ hung between heaven and earth on that cross and staked to that cross. Jesus made a name for himself. Over his head, they did something that was very unusual for crucifixions in those times. They posted above him, not the charges, but they posted a name. And they wrote that name in the divided languages of the earth. In Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, they wrote above him his name. This is the king of the Jews. And so what we see there is Jesus lost his honorable name in the crucifixion so that you could gain a name written forever in heaven in the book of life. By the death of Jesus, nothing can take away from your name. You don't need to protect your name from any kinds of charges. And by the life of Jesus, you receive a name of honor and of acceptance, a name that's so loved that he inscribes your name on the palm of his hands. And if you've got his love and if you've got his good opinion, you can just give up. You can stop striving to make your own name, to build your brand, and you can settle for being small because to him, you're worth his whole life. Have you received this name? And so today I call you to come, to humble yourself, to repent of sin, and to believe and to receive him. And as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And if that's where you are and you've received this name, and if you believe, I also call you to spread his name. Are you willing to speak his name, Jesus, to friends who have never heard his name and never come to know him? Are you willing, are you willing to be scattered to the ends of the earth and to take this name, to lift up not your name, but his name, the name above all names, the name which will last forever when our names are forgotten and are just dust, his name, the name before which every knee will bow. Are you willing to lift up his name? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would find our security in this name which has been given to us and in the, this, the, the permanent love and the security of your love. And we pray, Lord, that we would, you would use us to, to take his name and that his name in our lives, his name, would be lifted up and that we would find great freedom and security and love in having his name upon us. We thank you for Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.